I, uh, I'm going to go today into the uh, study a little bit about the, the seventh day or the millennial period. And I want to give you some things in the Bible that the Lord has impressed me to pass along to you here in this class today. And uh, I've got a timeline, a chart that I'm going to show you in just a moment here. But uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the wisdom of God that he has put in all the things that he has made and created. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want to show you something. We're going to talk a little bit about the understanding God and a little bit of the wisdom of God and the understanding of God. What the Lord gave Solomon that made him so wise is an understanding about how God had made and created all things, whether out of the earth, on the earth, in the earth, in the sea, whatever. And Solomon understood that God's wisdom is implanted in everything. And if he can understand those things, he can understand how God does things and why God does things the way he does. Jesus touched on that when he came and started teaching the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. The 13th chapter of Matthew, for instance, kingdom of heaven is likened unto the sower who went forth to sow. Kingdom of heaven is likened to a fisherman who fished for a net. It's likened to a woman who made some dough with leaven and so forth, on and on and on. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven being like some natural things that we understand. So the things that we see, things that we observe, things that we behold, there is the wisdom of God in that and helps us to understand the spiritual things. And we'll pass along some things to you. But first of all, I want you to look with me in Romans for a moment. And uh, I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 19. This is a very interesting chapter where it talks about God's right to judge the world and also talks about some sin that is very prevalent in our day and so I won't get into that. But Romans chapter one, verse 19, if you look at this verse of scripture with me here, it says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. This, this is the people who had sinned against God in the Old Testament and God has a right to judge them. And he goes on to say, because that which may be known of God is made known in them. The word manifest means made known. For God hath showed it unto them. Now, when and how did God show humanity things about himself? And then the 20th verse says, for the invisible things of God, or him, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So what Paul is saying here is that the world is without excuse knowing that there is a God and that he does exist because they can look at the universe. They can look at life. They can look at nature. They can look at everything that exists and say to themselves, there has to be a God. God has to have made all of this. Who is he? Where is he? Let's seek after him. Let's find him. Let's, let's try to search after the Lord. And this is why he has put this in here is for us to understand that the things that we see is a testimony that there's a God. Now, the Bible says in one place, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
And you have men who think that they're very wise, very smart, very intellectual, very educated. And this doesn't mean all education is this way. It doesn't mean that at all. But there are people who are very educated and they say, oh, I don't believe in God or I'm an agnostic. And they got sort of vague attitudes toward God and so forth like that. And I'm just trying to tell you here that the Lord is saying that anybody can look at all the universe and know that there's a God. Now, let me give you another verse of scripture here to sort of substantiate it. If you look at Psalms 19, Psalms 19, 1, 2, and 3, these three verses. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I don't want to get ahead of our, yeah, thank you. I don't want to get too far ahead of our people up there. I know I put pressure on them sometimes. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So what you see in the heavens is the handiwork of God. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. Everything you see is a testimony of God being somewhere that did all of these things. Verse three, there is no speech nor language where his voice is not heard. That means that with the, our common sense, we can say there is a God. Another verse of scripture, just to confirm it, is, is, a, is a Psalms eight and three. And he simply says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. In other words, these things are the creations of God. So therefore man can look at these things and say, there is a God, he can search after God and find the Lord. And when you search after the things of God, you learn a great deal about God and about the things of the Lord. Now, I want, to, uh, want you to turn with me, if you would, to, the, uh, to Genesis chapter one. I wanna to talk to you for just a moment here about the days of creation. Stay with me on this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture out on some things here. Genesis chapter one, this is where God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, if you look at verse 31, and God saw that all things were made and behold, it was, the, it was good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It was the sixth day. So in each one of these days, there was six of them. The Bible says first day, second day, third day, fourth day, right on down through here. All of these creative days, God did this, he did that, and I won't go into detail on it. And then finally, whenever you get to chapter two and verses one through three, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God made his work, which he had made, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. Everybody say seventh. seventh. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, these were not 24 hour days. I'm gonna show you that in a minute. Just bear with me for a moment. These created days were not 24 hour periods. Why? Because I want you to look at verse 14. Go back to 114 with me a minute. In verse 14, it said, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and years. Down in verse 16, I'm saving time. God's, 
made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And then at the end of that particular creative day, and the evening and the morning was the fourth day. So the, the light from the sun, the moon, and the stars never came forth until the fourth day. So they couldn't be 24-hour days. Everybody understand? And each one of these days, starting with the first day in, uh, in verse 3, go right on down. When you talk about these days, they all ended the same. The evening and the morning was the first day, the evening and morning the second day. So that they had a beginning and they had an ending. Each day had a beginning and an ending. Now, what I'm trying to point out to you here is that these creative days were long periods of time. They were long periods of time on earth. How long they were, nobody really knows. The Lord doesn't say. But they were long periods of time. And we know that when he finally got over here to the, the, the end of it all, that he made man, breathed into man the breath of life, man became a living soul and put him over the earth and so forth. Now, in that pattern of those seven days, God says that there is going to be a day of rest. Now, God also patterned the existence of man on the earth after seven days, seven days. Now, these were not creative days. These were dispensational days. So that each day in a dispensational day, you understand what I'm saying here is that God's following a pattern that he, did, he put forth here in the very beginning that the dispensational days is a thousand years. It's not a 24 hour day. Let me give you a scripture for that. And I, I know I've read this before to you, but look at second Peter, if you would. Just bear with me for a moment because we're gonna get in Revelation in a few moments so that you'll understand here the, the last remaining thousand year period that's gonna be on the earth called the thousand years of peace. And uh, if you look at second Peter chapter uh, three and verse eight. This is actually the last chapter in Second Peter. It says, "But but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing: that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." And if we were to look at other scriptures, for instance, if we looked at Psalms uh, ninety and four, if you just put that on the board here uh, for ninety-four. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night, meaning that with God, time really is nothing, and that a thousand years is just is like one day with God, you know. Another verse of scripture that we could look at to do with that is, uh, is uh, scriptures that could do, well, let's take Adam and Eve, for instance. The Lord said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Okay, Satan came along and said, oh, you will not surely die. They ate the fruit, 24 hours passed, they didn't die. The second 24 hours passed, they still did. You see what I mean? They did not die in 24 hours because God was not speaking of a 24-hour day. He said, in the day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. And Adam died at 930 years, short of 1,000 years. Everybody still with me? And so what I'm trying to point out, nobody's ever lived beyond 1,000 years because it's ordained of God. And Methuselah was the longest, 969 years that he lived. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that these dispensational days was what God determined that man would follow and it was made after that, uh, those seven days of creation. Let me just say one word here about us today. Uh, there are those who say that we should, uh, we should have the seventh day as a day of worship. 
The Lord never established the seventh day as worship, only as the rest. The seventh day is a day of rest, not of worship. Uh, the seventh day in the New Testament church, because Jesus rose the first day of the week, that became the day of worship for the church. So instead of following the seventh day as being set aside by the Christians, the early church, and I can show you multiple scriptures on that, several scriptures, uh, they set aside the first day of the week and they made that a day of worship. So that Sunday is a day of worship, not a day of rest, it's a day of worship. We come to the house of God, we worship God, and we glorify God. But the rest, the rest, our EST, is in the Holy Ghost. You know, this is, this is the, the, he called the weary to come and rest. Well, this is the rest, uh, and this is the refreshing, he said. So I'm, I'm just touching on something here that I don't want to get into heavily, but I'm just saying here that this seventh day thing was laid out here for all of mankind, for them to follow and for them to observe and know that there is going to be seven days called the creative days, I mean the seven days of dispensational days that will be for man's day. Now, I want to show a map up here. I've got it, if you'll give us an overhead view on this. This is a map of, uh, of the timeline. And uh, I apologize to you again that it's not really clear for you to see. But this is Adam here, the first man where my pen is pointing right here. This is Adam. And this period of time here is a period of 4,000 years. This is the Old Testament. It goes to the New Testament here. I've got Calvary right here. Halfway through it here is Abraham. 2,000 years. He lived 2,000 years before Christ, 2,000 years after Adam. So there's 2,000 years before Abraham, 2,000 years after Abraham. Before Abraham, everybody was Gentiles, no Jews. After that, they were Jews. This line that's drawn in here is the flood. And that's where that flood that covered the earth in Noah's day and so forth. And we will not get into that. But I just want you to notice here, 4,000 years of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it's 2,000 years. It's 2,000 years. And it is a 2,000 year period that, is, that we know has already passed. Now, let me just give you a little heads up here, and I'm going to get into what we've been, we'll be talking more about in a few moments. But go to Hosea 6.2 for a moment in your Bible. Hosea 6.2. This is a scripture that talks about the Lord reestablishing Israel as a nation. And he says, I'm going to bring them back, and when they seek my face, and so forth, if I were to read Hosea 5, 15, the last verse in chapter 5 of Hosea, he says, I will go and return to my place till they, that is the Jews, acknowledge their offense and seek my face and their afflictions, they will seek me early. Chapter 6 says, come and let us return unto the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Look at verse 2 now very closely. After two days will he revive us. Now this is not 24-hour days because the Jews have been scattered on the earth now longer than two 24-hour days. You well know that. The temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And so they've been, they've been scattered now throughout the world for 2,000 years. So we know that when it says after two days will he revive us. 
So we know then that after the 2000 year period, God is going to have a major change in which he's going to revive Israel. And when he revives Israel, he is going to finish up his work with the Gentiles. And the next major thing to happen that is, is concerning Bible prophecy and so forth, outside of the revival. I know that revival can be anytime, anywhere, and is given unto us. Go ye in all world, preach the gospel. So there can be revival, and I think there's going to be an end time revival as well here in these last days. I do really believe that. But also, the Lord is getting ready to come back for his church. And, it's, and we know that this is 2013 now. You know, I mean 2013. 2017, excuse me. This is 2017. And so we know then that we are either in, and our calendar is not altogether right with God's calendar. You know, we, we've got, they've, flunk, they've flunked around with the, uh, the calendar system, I mean, for a long time, you know, and everything, and added here and done this and that and everything. So they're doing it the best they can. But whatever it is, uh, we know that it's time pretty soon for this dispensation of the church HDN. Now, I'm gonna go one step further. On this chart that you look at here, I've got a big circle here that says tribulation, not a big circle, a small circle, but actually this period of time right here is just a few years. It's probably 10 to 14 years. I'm just shooting from the hip on that. I know it's 14 years. I'm sorry, I know it's seven years. At least seven years, but it could be maybe 10 years or 14 years. I know there's a very short time right in here. This right here is a 2,000 year period. So when you look at this chart here, they don't, they don't jive. The, the truth about it is that this church age goes all the way over here to Armageddon. But about 10 to 14 years before Armageddon happens, the Lord comes back for his church. And this is brought out in multiple scriptures. This is brought out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, brought out in... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says there's several other scriptures that talk about it, about how that we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Lord will come. Uh, he'll give a shout. Dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is when the Lord will come back and catch his church up. The Lord never comes to the earth. Mark what I'm saying here, because I got some interesting things to show you a little further on in our lesson here this morning. The Lord never comes back to the earth. He comes in the sky. The Bible says that he comes in the clouds in the heavens above. And when he does, the church will rise. The dead in Christ will rise first. That is the, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the first resurrection. That will be the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are they that have fought part in the first resurrection. That'll be the church. So if we, if we serve God, walk with God, when Jesus comes back and nobody knows when he's coming and don't let anybody try to tell you they got it all figured out, nobody does. I've had them say that it's gonna be coming in 1986. I've heard them say in 88 reasons they're gonna come in 88. No, they were wrong, but it's gonna come in 89. And then the same guy that said that, you didn't hear no more about it. He went silent for a long time until after around the turn of the, turn of the century, then he, then he started coming out and saying, it's time for the Lord to come again, and he didn't come then. Then they said it's going to come in 1912. You hear all these stories, and nobody knows. And Jesus said that. Nobody knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. Somebody say, oh, they don't know the day or the hour, but they know what week it is or what month. No, forget it. That, that means nobody's going to know, period. Okay. 
But we do know that the Lord will come at a time that we think not. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Eating and drinking, marrying and giving and marriage. Just as everyday life. And then it will happen. As it was in the days of Lot. The day that Lord uh, laid fire fell from heaven and, and the angels brought Lot out. Probably a caravan was headed out down the street of Sodom and Gomorrah, headed out across the desert, going on their merry way. Shops were opening up. People were getting ready for that day again, you know. Fire fell from heaven, consumed them all. I'm just trying to say here that these things will come suddenly, and so the Lord will catch his church away suddenly, praise the Lord. And it'll be at a time when you think not. He says, when you see all these things, these signs come to pass, then look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. That's why he says you're going to see this, you know, see these and this thing and that thing. He told the Pharisees, you can discern the sky and you know whether it's going to rain or whether it's going to be sunny day or what kind of day it's going to be tomorrow. And he said, but you cannot discern the times. You don't even know what time it is right now. Jesus was telling them, your Messiah is here and you don't even know it because you cannot discern the times. You're not, your eyes are not open. You're not seeing it. You know, that's what he was trying to say. And so uh, Jesus was performing miracles everywhere, feeding the 5,000. And there were saying, no, he's not the Messiah. No, he's not the Messiah. And he was doing everything that the Messiah had been prophesied he would do when he would come back to Israel. So what I'm trying to say here, those were signs for them that they did not see. And so we are seeing signs today, things that's happening in the world around us. We know it's time for the Lord to come back. But the next major spiritual event to happen then is going to be the uh, coming of the Lord and he'll come back for his people, come back for his church. Now, one other thing I want to add here. Be ready to go when Jesus comes. Be ready to go. Everybody got my, everybody with me now? Listen, folks, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and it was in the early church, and I don't see where it was ever changed in the Word of God, is speaking in other tongues, okay? The evidence of God's Spirit in us. Praise God. And uh, the Bible talks about it. All through church history, there's been times whenever there were people, revival, they would pray and seek God, and God would pour out the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon them. So ask God to give you everything He has for you, and then walk with God. What the Holy Ghost does, and we call it the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. What the Holy Spirit does inside of us is that it gives us the ability and the desire and the capacity to live for God like he wants us to live. Instead of being in the church and saying, oh, I wish I was out there. I wish I was out in the world. I wish I was doing this. And you say, no, no, I left the world behind just like children of Israel left Egypt behind. And they went into the land of Canaan. You know, they, they went to their new land. Well, when you come into the church, it's the, the body of Christ. It's the kingdom of God on earth. And so we leave the world behind. And God puts his spirit in us to give us a desire to live for him, walk with him. And all of you that have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know this is true. When you got saved, you fell in love with Jesus. You fell in love with the church. You fell in love with God's people. You know, you just, you had love in your heart. And so I'm just trying to say, this is what you need in your heart to be ready for the rapture and then stay prayed up and walking with God. On Monday nights here in this church, we have a, we have a prayer meeting. Everybody's invited. Everybody prays their own way. The lights are subdued a little bit, but there's plenty of light where you can see how to 
Some people walk around. Some people sit in the pew. Some people you know, kneel at the altar. But people pray. And on the screen up here, uh, they change. I think it's about seven of them. Over a period of one hour, they'll change subjects that you can pray for. Like you can pray for yourself. And then they'll go for about seven minutes. And then it'll, it'll just show you the clock ticking down. You can glance at it. But you can close your eyes and once in a while you can glance at that screen. And then it'll say, now pray for your family. Then it'll say, now pray for the church. Now they'll say, it'll pray for, pray for the global church, all over the world, pray for missionaries. And then it'll, you know, it'll go right on through the whole cycle. It starts out with praise, praising God for the first seven minutes. It'll end up in the end, praising God in the very end. It's a wonderful prayer time. And if you say, well, I don't know if I could pray for a solid hour, just by following that screen, you can pray. And I'm going to tell you something. If you pray and you keep prayed up and you walk with God and serve the Lord, one of these days, it's going to happen. And we don't know when it's going to happen. One of these days, though, the trumpet's going to sound. And uh, the Lord will turn to Gabriel and say, Gabriel, blow that trumpet. Praise the Lord. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord that is in the air from there on. And he'll take us, you know, to the, to the holy city. And that's where we'll go up. And that's the rapture. Now, I'm going to move on a little further here because there's some things I want to talk to you about here concerning uh, these uh, things about the wisdom of God. Because we ended last week in the book of Revelation where we brought you to, the, uh, to Armageddon. And uh, in the things of God, I've showed you the creative days, I've showed you the dispensational days, and we have now covered 4,000 years of dispensational days for man, and there is 2,000 years that we have come to an end of, and then this right here is a very short period. Armageddon will actually end this 2,000-year period here, so it's later than you think for the coming of the Lord. Everybody understand what I'm saying there? because he comes back before the Armageddon period of time. And I'm going to show you some scriptures in here. But there's still the thousand years of peace that's left. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. But uh, I just want to just say here that in, in all of God's creation, there is wisdom. And uh, man can gain wisdom by observing the things of the Lord. And Jesus came to show us spiritual wisdom. And I mentioned that to you a while ago by the things that God had simply already created. Just open our eyes and we can see them. So if we pray and seek the Lord, God will give you wisdom and understanding about him and how he does things. Uh, you know, the eyes, just, the, the camera is designed after the human eye. You know, Solomon said, what is here, what, is, what was is is, and what is was before and all that kind of stuff. He said, we well, didn't have a camera back in Solomon's time, but the human eye was, was existence. But the camera's designed after the human eye. Telephone's designed after the human ear. It was, you know, designed that. God gave those men wisdom to be able to figure all those things out. Uh, I read about the guy who invented Velcro. And there's a little old seed thing. Some of you have had it, but you walk maybe through some woods or through some wooded area, and these little old round things stick to your clothes. Everybody, anybody ever had that experience? They're like little seeds. They stick to your clothes. And you've got to peel them off. And when you look under a microscope, it's Velcro, it's like, it's built like Velcro. So the guy looked at that and he says, why, if I could design something like this, where it will attach to material, 
So he designs Velcro and he has the opposite, you know, one and the, the, the kind that's the backs of Velcro. It's a little, uh, it's a little nylon, little small things that go out and it's got a little hook on it. And that hook goes up and then the material locks in there. You know what I'm talking about. But that was already, that was here before he designed it. You understand what I'm saying? And it goes on and on. I mean, there's so many inventions that men have developed in the, uh, because they saw what God had already developed. So I'm just pointing out that Solomon's right when he says there's nothing new under the sun. Now, I, I wanna, want you to go with me, if you would, to uh, Zechariah for a moment. I think, I think we're ready for Zechariah here. And uh, I want you to go to chapter 12. And I mentioned this to you before, but I'm tying it all together here. And it came to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now we're talking about Armageddon here. We're talking about this Armageddon area here. And uh, what I'm gonna do now is switch, I'm gonna switch charts with you and I'm gonna put one up about the, the uh, tribulation period here. And uh, this is, in other words, what I'm gonna show you now, it deals with just this part right here. Rapture's taking place, tribulation period, right in here goes right clear to the end from here out. And this is what it looks like. We talked to you about, you know, these judgments of God that will fall, and I have this broken up into three parts. This is, this is uh, the time of the restoration of Israel when God will send the two prophets back. We talked about that, turn the heart. This all during the tribulation period. <clears throat> and then the Antichrist will rule for three and a half years at the very end of this tribulation period. He'll rule for three and a half years. And at the end of that period of time, the Lord will come back with his church. Now, he's, this is where he comes back for his church here. This tribulation period happens. This is, like I say, a period of very short time. This is seven years. This is maybe seven years, five years, four. Who knows? Nobody knows. Anyhow, the Lord comes back here for his church. Then he comes back here at Armageddon with his church. The Bible says he comes with 10,000s of his saints. I won't go back over that. We talked about that last week. That's called Armageddon. Every eye shall see him. And what will happen is that all the armies of the world will now come against this to be the Antichrist. And he intends to wipe out the Jews who have become God's people because they have turned back to God. And they have turned back to God because the two witnesses come to the earth and preach to them that Jesus Christ was your Messiah. Now look at, look at uh, Zechariah 12 with me for a moment. I'm going to read this. This is 12, 9. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out a, a pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. This is meaning that Jesus would come down Armageddon. And now it won't be as a thief in the night. He won't come just in a cloud, but he'll come right on back to the earth. And they shall look upon me whom they have appeared, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Shall be in bitterness, of, uh, bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Then it goes on to talk about, right on down through verse 14 of that 13, 12th chapter, about how that all Israel will repent, turn to God, and ask God to forgive them. And they will understand that Jesus was the Messiah and they will turn back to Christ and begin to believe in Jesus Christ. And this is all because of that 11th chapter of Revelation we talked about last week. 
in which God will send the two prophets, Moses and Elijah, back to the earth. I won't go into detail on that, but it's in the 11th chapter of Revelation where he turns their hearts back to God and whenever he does, then the Jews will become God's people and this is where that their hearts are turned back to the Lord. Uh, this is a bigger view of the, uh, this one here. Excuse me a minute. That's a bigger view of it. And I, this is just that portion of it. And the first three and a half years, those two prophets will preach and then they'll be killed, lying in the streets for three and a half days, and then they will be revived and caught up. And then the Antichrist will rule the world for three and a half years here. But the Jews will be God's people on earth. They will be God's people. And then here at Armageddon, the Lord will come back. And uh, when he does, he's going to revive his people. Now, I want you to turn to Zechariah 14 with me. Look at 14, 2. We're in Zechariah there. Everybody's still with me here. We'll get to back to Revelation in a few moments. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is talking about that army again. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand, and listen to this carefully, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. I'm talking about now here, Armageddon, when the Lord comes back here. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Let me show you a map here. I just so happen to have one. <laughs> this is a map of Palestine. And uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea here. And this is the Jordan River that flows down into the Sea of the Dead Sea. This Dead Sea, folks, is so salty. And, and it's got all kinds of minerals in it, stuff. You can go swimming in it and you won't drown. You just float. I have done it. I've been there and been in it. And I've laid flat on my back and just float. You know, you, you can't sink. Just don't drink the water. You drink a cup of water and it'll probably kill you. It's got so many minerals in it, bromine and everything in the world. It's very salty, extremely salty. Nothing lives in it. No life is in it. In fact, life even around it, is, they have to get away from it a ways to plant, you know, date palms and things like that. And then they have to do a lot of irrigation. It's very... It's one of the lowest places, on the, it is the lowest place on the face of the earth right here, in this area right here, the Dead Sea area. Halfway from Jerusalem to there is sea level. I mean, when I'm talking about sea level, is the elevation. You drop, 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 drop way on down. I won't get into the detail on that part of it. But this is the Dead Sea. This is Jerusalem here. The, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. And as you go toward the Dead Sea, it drops. Now, look at this scripture that I'm reading to you here. This is interesting. It says here, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fall in the day. Verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. On the east side of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. Uh, several of you have been, I know, to Israel, and you've been to Jerusalem, and you know what I mean when I talk about that east side there. It's... Uh, it's a, uh, you, can, you can stand there and look over in Jerusalem and you can see uh, the Dome of the Rock. 
which is the Muslim mosque that's there. And it used to be where the temple was, the Muslim mosque that's there right now. All the Jews would like to see that Muslim mosque gone, and they still want the temple bit rebuilt there. All the Muslims said, don't you dare touch that mosque. And so there's that, you know, and so there it stands, but you can look up and you can see it. Now, this is what happened when the Lord comes back. People standing that day up on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. This is where Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts chapter one, remember? He was with his disciples, they walked out, they were walking together, and all of a sudden Jesus went up. This was after the resurrection, 40 days after the resurrection, he went up, he ascended into heaven. And uh, they were looking up like this. And then all of a sudden they saw two angels standing by him. They didn't say angels, two men dressed in white apparel. They said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing in heaven? The same Jesus that you see go up shall so come again in like manner. So when Jesus actually comes back and touches the earth, he will touch the earth, the exact place that he ascended when he went up. And Zechariah describes that. Here's what will happen. Look at closely here. Uh, it says here, the Mount of Olives shall clean. Okay, I'm reading verse four again. His feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and the west. That means that it's going to split. The Mount of Olives is just right here where Jerusalem is. I got a little arrow there. This is a little arrow pointing to it. That's Jerusalem. Just outside of Jerusalem there, there's a little valley called the Valley of Kidron. And on, just on the east side of that, that mountain was split open. And that is a, it a cleave this way, east and west. Back, this, the split would be in that direction. And then it goes on to say here, uh, and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain, that is the Mount of Olives, shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. So that it'll you know, split like this. And, uh, and, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Praise God. And that's us when we come back with the Lord. Jude 14, Jude had one chapter. Verse 14, he will come with 10,000s of his saints. There's other verses that says the same thing. So this is when we will come back with the Lord and uh, we'll come back and the Lord will set his feet down and it will split open. And then out of that, look at verse eight down there. I'm in Zechariah 14. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. When that splits open, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and winter shall it be. So water is gonna come out of Jerusalem and it's gonna flow into the Dead Sea and it will also flow around over and into the former sea, which is the great sea is the former sea or the Mediterranean. It'll flow both ways and there'll be healing waters. Now, there are scriptures in the Bible where you can read whole chapters about it. Uh, and about this living, especially Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells you all about how it will happen. And it says that this water will flow into the Dead Sea and whenever it does, it will begin to heal the waters and the waters will be made fresh and they will be become okay waters and the Dead Sea will again be alive and it will have vegetation and it will have fish in the water and it will change totally and it will be so different after Armageddon when you go into the millennium. It'll be so different that even years later, young people will say, 
how could this have ever been a salt sea? And the Bible says that they will say that. And so God will leave a little salt in the, some of the backwaters in the brush areas, just so the parents can say, see that salt there? That is left there by God to let us know that one time that sea was salt because you wouldn't believe it today. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the thousand years of peace. So that's the seventh day and that's the day of rest. And uh, I've got about, only have a couple of minutes here, but I'll talk to you more about it. I got some wonderful things to give you here coming up. But uh, if you want to go with me for just a moment here over to the book of Revelation, uh, I want you to look at chapter 20. It says here, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is Revelation 20 and one. Bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, bound him a thousand years. This is that thousand years of peace we're talking about. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. And he shall, he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be finished. And after that, he must be loose for a little season. And we'll talk more about that later on. But uh, it goes on to say here, then the thousand years would be over. Finally, when the thousand years are all finished, verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 10 now. Fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now, the reason I'm pointing all that out to you is because we're talking about here, I'm going to wind this up, about the last part of that chart, Revelation chart that I gave you, and that's this thousand years of peace that will follow Armageddon. And that's when the Jews will reign, and I'm going to give you some scriptures where the, the, the Lord will call Israel, all the Jews back to Palestine, and the Lord is going to reestablish them as a nation. Now, what you have going on in Israel now is what's called Zionism. That's the Jews doing what they're doing on their own. And God, I'm sure, is giving them strength and helping them in it in some measure. But the great work that God will do for them, for them when they turn back to God through Jesus Christ, is when he brings all of the Jews out of all the Gentile nations in the world and brings them back to their own land and he reestablishes them there. And there's going to be a thousand years of peace on the earth. Now, where will we be? We'll be in the holy city with Jesus. What will that be like, Brother Harris? Hey, don't worry about it. If God can make the earth so beautiful, he can make something beyond this life much more beautiful. Praise the Lord. I, the Bible said it would be four square, you know. Uh, I know one thing, you'll not be confined to just the earth, you know. But we'll be able to, you know, we'll be, we do not yet know how we shall appear. We should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he was, had a resurrected body when he resurrected but then afterwards he ascended into heaven and he was glorified. What, kind, what is a glorified body? Uh, Paul saw him on the road to Damascus and said he was brighter than the noonday sun. Uh, the Bible says that when John the Revelator in the first chapter of the book of Revelation saw him, he fell at his feet as a dead man. He was so moved by the presence of Jesus Christ in that glorified state. We do not yet know how we shall appear. We'll be like him. We'll be joint heirs with Christ and the Lord has included us to be like him. And so I'm just telling you all of that so that you understand we will have a great reward in the Lord. So either the holy city will be above the, the earth, just above the earth, way above the earth, or on the earth. 
Whatever it is, it'll be fine with me, whatever it is. You know, you and I have access to all that God has for us. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I'm just pointing out, and next week I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the, the, the wind-up of this thing and about the white throne judgment. And I've got some very good things to share with you that you're going to appreciate. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about this thousand-year peace that they'll, they, man will not, Satan will be bound, man will not learn war anymore. And it'll be that seventh day of rest for the human, human life, human world. Praise the Lord on this earth. Let's stand together and worship God. Let's thank him. Amen. You've been a great class. Praise God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we praise your wonderful name. Bless all of these good saints today. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings upon us. We ask you, Jesus, to bless the morning service. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.